Have you ever been hurt in church? Ever had your feelings hurt in church? Most of us have. You've been around church for a while. It just happens, and we might want to think, yeah, why does that happen? Why is, why is that the way people are? Sometimes people say something, and you think, where did that come from? Or they'll do something, and it really bothers you, and it's almost as if the church is made up of a bunch of sinners. And it is. Because we're all sinners. And there's been times when I have said something or said something in a way that came across really harshly. And I thought, wow, I can't believe that I let that come out like it did. Or I've done something that hurts somebody else. And it's tough when we do that. And it's also tough when someone else does that to us. And we, we feel like it shouldn't be that way. And yet we know our imperfection. And this can really keep us from true Christian community. Now... As we talked about the mission and vision of the church, one of the things that the elders came back to and I came back to over and over again was the need for Christian community. And we said, as a part of the second part of our mission statement, a church which loves others builds Christian community. That should be part of who we are. It should be part of what church life is. We have connections with one another. We have what Scripture calls fellowship. And yet there's all these barriers that keep us from developing Christian community. And one of them is just what we talked about a minute ago. It's our imperfection. The fact that we are sinners. The fact that at times we say things and do things that we would love to take back, that we know has hurt another person's feelings, that keeps us from developing those connections. But the second thing is our fear. And it's because maybe somewhere in life, maybe outside the church, maybe inside the church, someone has hurt us. And when that happens, sometimes our natural reaction is, I'm going to build up a wall so that nobody can get into my life. And if they can't get into my life, then they can't hurt me again. And we have tend to apply that to other people. Or maybe when someone else in a similar position or in a similar character of this other person who hurt us begins to act, we react because it brings it all back. And there's that pain. And we cut off Christian community. We cut off connections with other people because we are afraid we're going to be hurt again. The third barrier to Christian community, self-reliance. Now, in some ways, self-reliance is a great thing. We like to be responsible for our own future. We like to make sure we are providing for our family. We want to be self-reliant. Our culture sort of built on that. But when we take that too far, we begin to say, I don't need anybody's help. I've got everything under control in my life, and I don't need anyone to help me get through this life. Because if we did, that might seem like weakness. But the truth is, there's no way to have Christian community. There's no way to develop connections with other Christians unless we admit, hey, there are times when I'm going to need the help of someone else. And then there are also times when I'm going to need to help other people. So our imperfection, our fear, our self-reliance, and finally, our busyness. We are all so busy. We have such a schedule with work and family and maybe community obligations and maybe obligations to serve in the church that we don't have time for Christian community. And the truth is, it takes time. 
It takes time to develop relationships with other Christians. And if we're so busy with the rest of the life, uh, rest of life that we have no time to spend with other Christians, we will not have Christian community. And yet, we need it. We need those relationships and connections with other people. So how do we get there? Well, that's what I want us to think about a little bit this morning. And we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, made up primarily of Gentile Christians. And one of his primary messages in this letter is, yeah, there are some Jewish Christians who have told you that to become a Christian, to be a proper Christian, you first have to convert to Judaism. And Paul's message in this letter is, that's not true. God accepts you just the way you are. God accepts you. He has called you to himself because he loves you regardless of who you are. So speaking to those Gentile Christians, Paul wants to sort of affirm their faithfulness and affirm their place with God. We begin in verse 19 of chapter 2. Consequently, Paul says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, the fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the, the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So Paul uses two images there. The first image is, hey, listen, it used to be that God had this one geographic people, all right, the people of Israel, and everyone else was sort of estranged from God. They were foreigners. They were resident aliens, even if they lived among God's people. And Paul is saying it doesn't work that way anymore. You're no longer foreigners. You're no longer aliens. You have been invited in to become citizens with all the rights of everyone else who is a citizen. You are equal with all those people. And then Paul changes his image from citizenship to this household, to a house built by God. And he says this house, which is composed of all Christians, is built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles. I say, why those two groups? Well, in the Old Testament, the prophets were the people who spoke for God. Not just to tell the future, but to give God's message to all the people. And in the New Testament, the apostles were the ones, literally meaning the ones sent. So they were the ones sent by Jesus to share the message that he had been giving to humanity to the rest of the world. So the foundation for this household that makes up all of Christianity is built on that. But more importantly, it's built on Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone of this whole edifice. And then Paul takes the, the image a little further. Verse 21. In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, what's he saying? He's saying certainly that everything is drawn together in Jesus. Everything about this house that's being built is built on Jesus. But he takes it further in that he says... We are being built together in this house. So regardless of whether they were Jewish or Gentile, regardless of whether they came from a poor family or a wealthy family, whether they were high-born or born with no privilege, whether they had the, citizen, the, the rights of a citizen of the Roman Empire or they were not 
citizens of the Roman Empire. It didn't matter. God was bringing them all together to build this one house, which would become his temple. Now, there was the temple in Jerusalem, but when Jesus died, the the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom, opening it up to all people, and he is saying that temple doesn't matter. What matters is that you are being built to become God's dwelling. You together are God's people. He has called you to be one people regardless of where you have come from. The image reminds me of this. You know, when, when I was a kid, the thing that I loved to get the most, and I've talked about this before, was Legos. You know, at Christmas, that's usually what we got. We had all kinds of sets. We had a space station, planes, we had cars, we had houses, all that stuff. And, and on Christmas Day, you know, usually my dad would end up building whatever the directions called for. And then after a few days or a few weeks, we would tear that apart, throw all those Legos in the box with all the others, and then we would build new stuff, dozens of other things. And you know, it would be very rare for us to say, wow, this yellow brick, remember that came from that car set that we got four years ago, because nobody cared. All we cared about was building something new with what we had available. And it seems to me that's what God is doing. God is saying, listen, your past is not what matters. What you've done doesn't matter. Who you were doesn't matter. Your position doesn't matter. What matters is the way that I see you now. And I'm taking who you are now and I'm making you as a group, as the church, into something greater. The very dwelling place of God. Now, what does that have to do with Christian community? Normally, Scripture talks about fellowship, and that's sort of tied into this topic as well. But I want us to see that it's not completely up to us. This is something that God is at work doing. That God is creating among us. That God is building among us. It's partly God's action. Now, we could say, hey, you know what? Um, I've been hurt in the past. I don't want to get involved in what God's building over here. I'm just going to be a brick laying alongside looking at the building being built. But that's not what God has called us to do. That doesn't work with the image that Paul gives us here. We are called to allow ourselves to be built into this house, which is God's dwelling. And that's real Christian community. Whether we're talking about the whole church or whether we're talking about an individual church, our church, God is at work taking us and building us into his house. So the message we get from that, well, before I get there, one of the ways that we see this is that God gives us so many things that we hold in common. And Paul talks about that just a couple chapters later in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is saying, listen, there's things you believe. There's God himself. There are things you, that you do. And with you as Christians, that holds you all together. These are the things that make us one. So if we take that and think about the lesson we can take home from this, it's that, is that God is making us one in Christ. God is at work making community. God is at work making us 
making connections among us that can last a lifetime, that can carry us through the joy of life and also through the struggle of life, if we allow it. Now, this is something the elders and I have talked about a lot. How do we develop Christian community? It's not something you just magically say it's going to happen. It's not something that happens overnight. As a matter of fact, it can take a very long time for this to happen. But what are some practical steps that we can take? Well, first of all, we as individuals have to allow it. We have to make the choice. We have to say, I'm going to push those barriers aside and allow God to be at work in my life and in the life of the church to create community. And the truth is, in the process of all this, you might get hurt. I'd love to say it doesn't work that way. I'd love to say that church people are perfect people, but we're not. And it might be that you will get hurt. It's messy. This thing we call Christian community is messy. I've had people show up to small group drunk and high. I've had people show up to church beaten and battered or having done the beating and the battering. It's messy. It's hard. And there are times that in Christian community, I will do something and I'm going to have to go to my brothers and sisters and say, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I said it the way I said it. I'm sorry I did that. Shouldn't have happened. And there are going to be times when you might have to say to one of your brothers and sisters, I appreciate the fact that you have asked for my forgiveness, and it is yours. You see, it's easy when we're hurt to just walk away. It's easy to say, hey, you know, somebody in that church hurt me, and I'm not going to put up with that, and I'm going to leave. But just that's not Christian community. Christian community says, let's work this out. Let's solve the problem. Let's find forgiveness. Let's find grace. Let's hold our hope in common. And let's move forward together. That's Christian community. It's hard work. And yet it's the work that God has called us to do if we're going to allow him to make us one in Christ. Now, we had a team that talked about this line in our vision statement, and they gave us a good report, and it had several emphases that I want to share with you. The first is that we need to work on small groups. And the truth is we have some good small groups now with good leaders in those groups. But what we don't have is enough small groups. And another thing that we don't have is leadership over our whole small group system. There's good things going on, but it's not getting any direction really from staff or elders like we want there to be. So that's something that we're going to have to work on really over the next few months, maybe even stretching into a year, to develop a small group program that will allow Christian community to be developed. Now this team also said one of the ways that that can happen is that we address this with staff. And it's true. This is something that's probably going to have to be addressed at the staff level. We're going to have to add someone to help us develop small groups. So over the next few weeks, months, again, that's something that we are working toward among the elders is to develop a position and then find the right person to help us with involvement and community, the very things that we're talking about today. So you'll hear more about that later. And when the time comes that small groups are beginning or we're adding small groups, jump in, participate in that because it's a great way to develop that kind of community. But you know, 
Community doesn't just develop when we're in a small group. I mean, that's a great time for study and prayer and maybe sharing in a meal or some refreshments. But there's another kind of community that takes place, not when we're just across the table from one another, but when we're serving together. I found this to be true throughout my ministry. That when I do something with another Christian, when we share in service, when there's work together, that can develop community in a very special way because it creates shared memories and a bond of having done something together. So when there's opportunities to serve with other people, there's another great way to work together in developing community. So we'll see more opportunities for that as well. Now, it still comes back to a choice. It still comes back to, what am I going to do? Am I going to keep my past? Am I going to keep my past hurts? Am I going to keep my busyness in such a way that it, it keeps me from developing real Christian community? Or am I going to open my life? Am I going to share it with other Christians? And maybe that's a little intimidating, Maybe it's a little frightening, but what I've found is that even though Christian community can be difficult, can be challenging, it can also be very meaningful. Because there's nothing like when something is going on in our lives, having the opportunity to come to another group of Christians that I know, that I care about, that I know love me, and being able to say to them, listen, this is what's happening I need your prayer. I need your counsel. That's part of what the Christian life should be. And there's also this sense of meaningful relationship when other Christians, maybe a couple, maybe a young Christian or whoever, comes into a group meeting and says, listen, this is happening. I need you guys to pray with me. And being able to surround that person and show them care and concern and pray with them That develops community, and that is truly meaningful in the Christian life. You see, our relationships usually don't happen in this room. It's going to happen somewhere else. As we all look forward in this room, all one direction, it's hard to really connect with other people. But the truth is, we see it all the way through the New Testament, we need those connections. And in fact, God saw that so clearly that as we've talked about today, God is making us one in Christ. And the question is, will you allow that to happen in your life? Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the gift of Christian community. Thankful that because Christ died on the cross for our sins, we share all these things that Paul talks about. The same God, the same faith, the same hope. God, because we share those things, we are thankful that you are making us one in Christ. And we pray that you'll continue to do just that. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And maybe today you've decided to, you want to be a follower of Jesus. We invite you to let us know about your decision of faith, and we want to see you baptized into Christ. Or maybe you recognize that it's time for you as a baptized believer to connect with a body of believers, to become a member of this body of Christ. If you've made that decision, we want to know about it. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.